Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 20 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast. Sponsored by the Relaxed Dog. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. This week's guest is Rebecca Hoffman, and she's going to tell us all about the exciting sports stuff that her Staffy Bully Mix Archer competes in. Um, before we do that, we'll just get on to a uh, little bit of doggy news. There's a clip doing the internet that came out of the Shandong province in China in a place called Weifang, uh, where an owner caught her dog taking a meat bun out of its uh, little kennel, putting it at the base of the stairs and barking at something at the top of the stairs. Um, she grabbed the phone and filmed a cat at the top of the stairs uh, that gingerly sort of came down and basically the dog was feeding the stray cat. So there you go. It happens. In a uh, another sort of act, a very heroic act where, and I don't know where this one was from, I think it was in the States, unfortunately a homeless dog was hit by a car crossing the freeway um, witnesses caught another homeless dog go out onto the freeway, um, grab the unconscious dog by the scruff of the neck and pull it over to the side of the road. Uh, then some workers that were working on the highway collected the dogs. The good news is that the dog that was hit made a recovery and... Both dogs, I don't know where they are now, but they were supposedly better. The um, other little bit of news is there is a recall on the Nature's Menu Super Premium Dog Food with a blend of real chicken and quail. And that has been recalled uh, due to salmonella contamination. Uh, it's the last week to vote on the most popular answers for I Can't Believe My Dog Ate. And last month's were Zass ate some chocolate, Emma ate the kitty litter, Bailey ate a whole pack of schmackos, Taurus got into the KFC, and Yoda ate the kangaroo tail fisherman's bait. So... So if you want to vote for one of those, jump onto the Facebook group. And without any further ado, is this week's interview. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. And it is my pleasure to have Rebecca Hoffman as our guest. So welcome, Rebecca. It's a pleasure to be here. I got to say, it is a little awkward to be behind the microphone again and not have a beer in my hand. I think I have a conditioned uh, response to microphone, recording, beer. Where's the beer? <laughs> so off the bat straight away, we have to let people know Rebecca is 
a podcaster and used to be say, well I'll just say in hiatus <laughs> from a fantastic show that was all about beer and dogs do you want to give a, a very quick snippet to that yeah absolutely so uh me and my podcast partner sarah dixon from canada who's back in canada now um had a small little short running podcast called hair of the dog in which we paired beer with uh dog training topics and we would often have guests on we thought of it as kind of like getting together at the bar and chatting with your friends with something that you like chatting about which is usually for dog trainers dog stuff so yep that's pretty much the the gist of it <laughs> so i highly recommend people that are interested in that go and find that and listen to some of those uh, older episodes so really really good concept fair warning it is not the best audio in the world. Just gonna so if anybody's an audiophile out there and it's just like really into like clean, crisp audio recordings, you're not gonna find that with Hair of the Dog. That's right. There's something something we're working on here as well. <laughs> yeah. So for today, who are we going to talk about? Because you have had a few dogs going in your life. I have. Yeah, you know, for being 35, I've had at least. I've had five dogs up to this point. Um, I've had my Chihuahua mix Oreo, and I had Floyd, my pit bull, who was a frequent guest uh, with all of his drinking and old manness on my Hair of the Dog podcast. And then I had Cooper, my little other Chihuahua mix, who's currently still with me. Uh, Fiverr, my Border Jack, who's been around for a couple of years, uh, my little sport mix guy. But I think today we're going to talk about Archer, who is... You know, everybody talks about their heart dog, and Oreo, my first dog, was definitely my heart dog. Um, but Archer, there's something special about him, and I have described him as my soul dog, the dog that really just, you know, the kind of dog that you'd walk through hell with, you know? Like, the dog that you'd want by your side through thick and thin, and he's he's everything. He's my kid, he's my son, he's my dog, he's not just my dog, but he's my boy, you know? So, I think we'll talk about him today. Excellent. So as per usual, I'm going to ask you to go back in time just a little bit before you met Archer and give us a little bit of a, a scenario on how that sort of like eventuated. Yeah, so actually um, I was, I'm sure some of your listeners are probably somewhat familiar with Michael Ellis. I used to live in the Bay Area of California and I was trying to get closer to people who had, because I couldn't afford to go to the Michael Ellis school and... Uh, I had been involved in dogs and pet training and whatnot and dog walking at that point, and I just wanted to get access to more information, but I couldn't afford to go to the school. So I was trying to get closer to the people who had been to that school or were teaching at that school and just expand my network. Um, and I got in touch with a couple of girls who worked for Michael Ellis who also ran a pit bull rescue, and I thought, all right, if I'm going to get information from them and like be friends with them, I didn't want to be a jerk about it. Like, I'm gonna be like, you're going to give me information. I'm going to hang out with you and make you my best friend. I thought that like a nice way to approach it was I could help foster and help, you know, train and learn through them that way. And then also like give help to the rescue that they were running. Um, so that's kind of how that happened. And I ended up with three of their foster dogs, one of whom was named Batman, who is this mangy little pup. Um, with cropped ears and all kinds of puppy folds and nine months old and incredible food drive. And that was Archer, who I actually fostered mm -hmm. for several months before actually adopting. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, I got Archer because I was trying to get closer to Michael Ellis students. 
Okay. And how was he with the other two that you had at the time? Yeah, so I had Floyd and I had Cooper and he was pretty chill. Like he just wanted to like, like he was fine with other dogs and he would kind of play with them, but he was more all about the human. Like, and I had never really had a dog that like gave such deep, intense eye contact. And I think that's what kind of like, I was fighting it. I didn't want to fall in love with him because Oreo had just passed away like a year. My, my heart dog had just passed away like less than a year ago and I wasn't ready for another dog. I had Floyd and then I got uh, Cooper for Floyd. I didn't get Cooper for me. I got Cooper for Floyd, which is a whole nother story that we won't go into. Um, but Cooper wasn't my dog either. Um, so, but he was just like, he wanted to work. He wanted to train. I had seen dogs with food drive, but his food drive was just like insane. And it still is today. I've always kind of kept that up. But even if I didn't keep it up, his food drive was just like over arousal kind of in food drive, but I love it. Um, but deep, intense eye contact. Like, I think that's the thing that was like really stood out. Like, yeah, he was fine with dogs, but he was more into like what the person was doing. He wanted to play. He wanted to eat. He wanted to like stare intently at your face. So. Any other sort of like uh, issues when you sort of first came into the household? Um, yeah, just a couple, like he loves playing so much, um, like fetch, tug, all of that. So actually when I first got him, I used to go to this little place in the Bay Area called Heron's Head Park, uh, which was quieter because nobody knew where it was and Bayview was often considered a place that you didn't want to go traveling through in San Francisco. I think things have definitely changed now, but uh, I used to go to Heron's Head and there was like a dog park that was rarely visited, but every now and then there would be people in there playing fetch with their dog. And he would just scream. He would scream that staffy chortling. I it sounds like he's going to just break the leash and go murder somebody. Scream, mm-hmm. um, and that was when I knew that I had an issue that I wanted to like. I love this dog, and I was falling in love with him. And I was like, this is a behavior that I think I can work through, uh, but I haven't. I hadn't committed to adopting him yet. Um, and that was like our biggest thing was just that like his drive to go, I knew he wasn't aggressive. It was more that somebody was playing fetch and he wanted to play fetch, but he had no control over his emotions because he was just a young, dumb adolescent puppy. Um, so working through that, like really putting in, I would say he's the first dog that really got me interested in obedience and working through arousal as a concept you know it's one thing to teach your dog sit in the kitchen when nothing is going on but it's another thing to teach your dog to sit for a chuck it sit for a tug all of that like michael ellis stuff that i was kind of learning anyways i got to immediately apply to him to work through some of that stuff um so that would be the only major problem in quotes there that we had was him just screaming like a banshee at the end of that leash because another dog was playing in a park uh, and we were just walking by, so. And did that take long for you to sort of get under? No, no, I don't think so. Like, I mean, I can't remember. I didn't keep good, like, tabs on it. Um, but I do know this coincided with me learning the food chase games, which is a big thing in the Michael Ellis school. Um, and that forever has changed my trajectory as a dog trainer. Um, and immediately applying to that to Archer because his food drive was so high and being able to do food chase games and really get him involved in what I was doing and make myself more fun that even six years later, this is like the biggest thing that I talk to clients about, especially with like working breeds or breeds that have arousal issues who like to play, even like aggression, like arousal issues that turn into aggression or frustration. The first thing I talk about is food chase games, especially if your dog has any modicum of food drive. I want to start 
building that into the training program. So I would say that once we started like initiating that food drive games and then like tug and like good outs, um, that like started to change the game and he started going, Oh, okay, well they can go play ball like this. You're, you're fun. I got this. We're in this together. It started like developing some teamwork between him and I. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say that that kind of helped with that two years, no year and a half, something around there. When I finally did adopt him, I went and took, um, I think if you at all listen to hair, the dog podcast, you would know how much I appreciate and just have sort of a, a love affair surrounding Jay Jack as a trainer. Um, because you know, the food chase games are great, but then like I went to a Pitbull 101 workshop for a weekend and really learned a lot about working with dogs and arousal in a different way, especially towards like a, a pit bull type dog or a bully type dog. And I wouldn't call Archer a game bred dog. He's not a game bred dog at all, but a lot of those concepts still applied. So taking things like the fetch in, the tug and like the spring pole and just like really applying it to him to give him more outlets, like really kind of rounded out the whole program. And then starting fly ball with him, taking all of those concepts and then putting him into fly ball. And then it was a whole nother set of like him screaming because other dogs were playing fly ball and it was even more arousal and working through it all again again. with food chase games and massage and all the stuff that I learned from J-Jack and all of that. And like taking that and applying it in a new venue where he got to be crazy and then like trying to not tamp it down or cap it off, but just toggle between you're playing the game now, now you're not playing the game, right? And and that really kind of also changed everything for me too, again, in getting in sports, and I credit him for that too. I don't think I would have, I'm just kind of going, I'm just blathering on now, but like this is kind of like the process that it took in, in turning me into a different kind of trainer who's interested in sports and now going in a direction of thinking about trying to start an intro to fly ball class up here where I live now and intro to barn hunt, um, that kind of stuff. Like I did a... I learned from somebody else how to teach barn hunt classes. Um, eventually, I want to become a barn hunt judge, and that's all because of him. And okay. taking a working line dog and sort of modulating some of his arousals and teaching in a different way. Um, and it's just kind of opened up a whole new career path within dog training that I probably wouldn't have had access to if it wasn't for the fact that it came into my life. So I'll get on to a couple of the things you just mentioned there sure. in, in, a, in a moment i'll just go back a little bit to if you can give us a, a a very basic understanding of archer and how you were introduced when you say food chase games there'd be some people would be going uh, what's that you throw food and he just gets it but if you can give us that's a small sort of uh understanding of how archer went into that area Sure. Uh, I'm trying to think how, because I, I can visually show you, but <laughs> visual is not always the best in a podcast formula, formula, or formula, uh, or format. Um, so food chase games for me is kind of like the same way that people would call it a lure. Like, so you lure your dog into a sit, you place the food in your hand, you can lure your dog into a sit by moving the food over their head, you can lure your dog into a down by slowly moving it to the ground, and you kind of keep their nose attached to the food in your hand. Um, I usually place the food in between my index finger and my middle finger at the base of my fingers and then run my thumb over it to kind of create like a pocket in my hand so that the dog can lick, nibble, uh, whatever, smell the food without actually getting it unless I remove my thumb. Um, Hopefully I described that correctly. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's all right. 
Yeah, and then so from there, uh, rather than just luring into a sit or just luring into a down or just luring into a stand, which is all stuff you can still do with a food chase game, um, I like to think of it like I know Michael Ellis does a lot of stuff that involves straight lines, and I'm not going to like go too deep into that because that's his category, and I didn't actually learn it from him. Mm-hmm. I just kind of took what little information I was given on that and then like ran with it in my own way. Um, so And I don't want to at all like sit here and pretend like, Ah, oh, this is how he does it, because I don't actually know. But I would do, like, straight lines back. Yes, marker, release the food. So, like, parallel to my the side of my body. Uh, straight lines back, uh, straight lines forward. Uh, and then kind of using movement, like, running with it, so that your dog is physically chasing you and the food in your hand, uh, both backwards and forwards, making them spin for it. Um, every time that they get to the food and you're ready to release it, you say yes. And then sometimes... When you're doing those circles, when you're doing those straight lines backwards and straight lines forwards, you make them miss. So you're running forward, you go, ha ha, and you flip your hand real fast, and then you run backwards and then say yes. So taking some of that sort of baseline frustration of like, ah, crap, I was almost there, dang it, uh, and like moving it in your favor. Uh, but you don't want to do it too many times because you can like totally kill the dog's hope for it. Um, but that's what I mean by food chase games. Essentially, take your hand and the food in your hand and turn it into the squirrel. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, again, going back, you still had Archer being fostered. So mm-hmm. he's fostered for a while. Was there much of a, a turnover of other dogs uh, in the household at that time? Um, I had two other, uh, dogs there. One who was kind of being held for some people that, um, knew that they wanted the dog, but, uh, were in the process of finding a location in which they could have the dog. Uh, they were in a, I guess, uh, an apartment building that wasn't pit bull friendly. Um, so he was somewhat of a long-term foster, four to six months. And then a puppy puppy from a litter that they had rescued, um, that ended up being... I want to say just not quite right in the head. So that was an interesting mm-hmm. thing to work through too. Um, he just, uh, we ended up finding another foster for them and then the two girls took him in for a while. Um, but that was it. Um, I kind of broke off with them um, and I didn't foster for them anymore after that once I adopted Archer because um, it just ended up being a little too much. Uh, three three foster dogs, three dogs of my own, plus I was still boarding dogs. So um yeah, there wasn't much, too much of a turnover. Like, I, I reached a point and I was like, I, I gotta take a break and, you know, not be a part of this for a little while. And and how was Archer with all those dogs sort of like in close proximity all the time? And the... Yeah, he was fine. I mean, even to this day, he's still, he's pretty neutral. Um, although he will play with dogs. There are, like, he plays with Cooper and he would play with Amos, who was one of the, the pit bulls that I was also fostering uh, for them. Um, and, like, he played with uh, this other dog aggressive dog or dog reactive dog that I have been working with for a really long time. Him and um, Sweet Pea got along really, really well. So he does play with dogs. He's not, like, so neutral to the point that he's just like, no, nah, I don't I don't like you or I, I don't care. He, like, he will play with dogs. Uh, the older he gets, he has more of a, like, a courting process. Like, he won't play with them unless he really trusts them. It took him two years to really play with uh, my dog, Fiverr. Um, he didn't understand Five as a puppy. And then, then Five went through adolescence where he was maturing and going through hormonal changes. And he was like, no, nah, I think I want to fight you. Uh, but then once that settled down, like, now mm-hmm. they kind of play. I got to watch them because they're terriers and they go crazy. But they play now, so... 
Um, he's pretty dog savvy. Like I, he's a little like if he doesn't know the dog, he could be a little like stiff. And I think sometimes that off, like will off put a dog. They're like, what's your problem? And he's like, I don't know what my problem is. And he's just kind of like hackled and stiff for a second. Um, but I've never had a problem in terms of him you know, typical pit bull stuff, right? But I've never actually had a, a major concern with him and other dogs, so. And do you find that there's been any sort of difference in Archer's behavior when you're going out for walks and things, depending on the different places that you've lived? Yeah, um, like when we lived in Hollister, there were sheep and like other prey animals there. So, you know, some of that would like tick up in the field, but it could easily override that with play. Um, and, uh, he handles, like, when we lived in Oakland, we used to go on some hikes. He's totally fine with that. He never really goes too far. Like, he wants to check in naturally, um, and he can pretty much hang out with most dogs. We've only been in Portland for a couple of months, um, and he's kind of figured out which fields we go to and, like, what the signifiers are of, like, what's going to be fun, right? So if I bring out the check-it stick, of course, he gets super aroused. He's like, okay, we're going to go to the field. And he just pulls like a freight train. And I let him because I don't really care. Um, and then, but if we're just kind of walking in the neighborhood uh, and uh, there's no signifier that we're going to go do something, um, right now he's a little bit more on alert. Like he just seems to be visually like, what's that? What's that? What's that? Um, and I, I think that's just kind of being in a new environment and still trying to adjust um, to having just moved again. Um, so, but in general, he's pretty chill. He's great with people. I can, I pretty much trust him anywhere. You know, he's been to beer festivals. He's, you know, gone to fly ball tournaments. He does barn hunt. He's done dock diving. He gets walked and we go to fields and he goes off leash. Like he's a, he's a champ. He's, he's a pretty good dog. Okay. So you mentioned quite a few different activities there. I'd yeah. get a little bit further into some of the activities that he sort of like started to do when he was a bit younger and how that sort of transpired. So flyball is what we first started with. And if I'm being completely honest, I didn't actually start class with Archer. I started the class with my smaller dog, Cooper, because I was like, Coop. I did what most people do when they think of flyball. You think of like, oh, it's the box with the ball. And like when you see it, you're like, oh, my dog loves fetch. He'll love flyball. That's what I did. I was like, my dog's fast and my dog loves fetch. He'll love flyball. And it's like the exact opposite because it's essentially a dead retrieve. You're never tossing the ball. The ball's just connected to the box. It's a, it's a dead ball in a box. Um, so, but me being like, oh, my dog loves fetch. He'll love flyball. We started the class with my little dog. And uh, quickly found out that Cooper had some sensitivities, environmental sensitivities, some internal insecurities. Most of that's been worked through, but it caught the bug. I was super into it, and I wanted to see how Archer would handle it. So I signed Archer up for a class, and he took to it immediately. In fact, I remember, awesome. I don't even think I did wall work with him. So like, there's a series of things that you need to do to make sure that you don't injure your dog when training for the box. And one of those things, especially for bigger dogs, is like a big wall. You do wall work. First you lean it at like 30 degrees, 20 degrees, whatever, and then you just kind of go up, up, up until it's flat against the wall. And it's like this big two or three foot by five foot wall. And you get them jumping and, and rebounding off the wall as high as possible. And that's how we usually teach bigger dogs. You just kind of 
layer it up into that and then you go back down and then you lean it up against the flyball box and you do it all over again. Um, and I didn't do any of that with him. <laughs> I was just like, I wonder if you'll do this. And I just borrowed a box cause I was doing homework for my other little dog. And, uh, I just put him on the box and he did it. And I was like, okay, guess we're going to do a class with you. And that's what made me do a class with him. Um, we needed to fix his box turn because that was not the right way to introduce it. Um, so we had to, we had to do a lot of fixing for my mistake. Um, but we got the bug, he was into it and, um, it just kind of kicked off from there. It took Cooper, my little one, a lot longer to get into fly ball than it did for Archer. Um, but yeah, we've been doing fly ball right now. Everything's on hold because of COVID, but, uh, I want to say we've been doing fly ball for almost three years, maybe four years now. It mm -hmm. feels like maybe longer. I don't know. I've lost track of time, but fly ball was the first introduction to sports. And then with fly ball, my fly ball coach that I was doing classes with was also teaching barn hunt. And I went ahead because I liked her coaching style. I signed up for a barn hunt class with her. Again, Archer took to it immediately. Like, he and he like... didn't have natural ratting ability, but we did it as a scent pairing. And I can explain what barn hunt is in a second. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. A lot of people <laughs> are going to go, what's that? What is that? Yeah, so this is actually one of my favorite sports um, in terms of, like, getting into a sport where you don't have to compete if you don't want to. Like, fly ball is a team sport. So once you start putting in that work, your team is also putting in that work with you and your dog. And it's kind of a slap to the face if you do all that work and then never go to a tournament because it is a lot of work to build your dog up into a competitor for fly ball and it's a team sport. Um, so a lot of people like won't follow through. You take a class and then you get to the hard part where you're learning to pass dogs and you just quit because like that gets to be hard. So that investment is a little bit different. So if you start fly ball, you should probably be ready to compete in fly ball and be serious about it. Um, with barn hunt, you could easily just go to barn hunt class and that be the thing that you do on a Tuesday night that's fun with your dog. Um, but you can do competitions if that is what, you know, motivates you. What barn hunt is, is a hay arena uh, where the hay bales are kind of like stacked and there's like, they'll make a tunnel out of the hay. Uh, and then they take live rats and they put them in PVC tubes that are breathable. Uh, but visually you can't, like the dog can't see the rat in the PVC tube but they're in these thick PVC tubes and the dogs have to find the rat in this hay arena. Um, and they will sometimes be tricked by empty PVC tubes and PVC tubes with old rat bedding, but no live rat in it. Um, and that's essentially the game is just hunting rats in this hay arena. They're completely naked, no collar, no leash, no nothing, no harnesses. Um, and you just kind of have to like know your dog and each dog kind of learns differently. Um, dogs with high prey drive, you can tell when they found the rat, they don't really lie about it. Dogs with, you know, have been taught as a scent. It's a little bit different, but again, he, he like took to that immediately. And we taught it as a scent. Um, cause he just didn't understand. He was like, whatever PVC too. Meh. Uh, so we taught it as a scent pairing game. Um, but he excelled at that too. So I kind of ended up getting hooked in both barn hunt and fly ball within like the first two years that I had him. Yeah. Does uh, he do any other sort of nose work? Nope, just the barn hunt. Mm -hmm. We probably will move into doing some shed hides for fun. Uh, there is a, a friend of mine named Liz Carter who's amazing and has amazing, crazy stories. Um, about her travels all around America doing dog sports. Um, she started a um, North American Sport Dog Association 
and it is like it's like nose work and it kind of combines like barn hunt but you can do it in an open field where they lay a trail so like trailing uh and then at the end uh it's like a quarry box with a live rat in it uh so you, your dog is supposed to like sniff the trail find the rat and alert on it um but they also have shed hides as a part of that which is the antlers they hide the antlers um so we'll probably move into that as another form of no nose work just for fun uh, how long has Arch been doing the the barn hunt stuff for? Um, probably the same, about the same as Flyball now, okay. like four years. We don't compete heavily. Like I said, I'm not super into the competing. I need to compete with them because in order to become a barn hunt judge, I have to like get to a certain level with a dog. I have to have competed to a certain level with a dog. I think it's um, all the way through seniors, and I think there's like four levels. There's uh, instinct novice open seniors and masters and i think you have to get and there's like three runs you have to get three qualifying runs in each level to move on to the next level except for instinct is its own thing um so I, we're in seniors right now and i think he has two qualifying runs in seniors and i think i have one more qualifying run that i have to do before i can um even attempt to become a barn hunt judge so but i've been really lackadaisical about that because like i said i'm not super into the competing part barn flyball i like the competing part barn hunt i'm literally just in it for the joy of doing barn hunt because i think it's fun so okay just uh touching back on the flyball has marcha had any sort of uh medical issues as a result of competing yeah absolutely um uh, well i mean i think in general he's had like he's six now maybe seven i've lost track um so and he's part english bulldog i believe maybe so staffy and english bulldog mix is what the wisdom panel said uh, i think he's listed as a staffy which probably shouldn't be um so i might have to fix that it might be one of those things that if somebody like calls me out on it i might get in trouble for him being listed as staffy but when we first registered him he was small enough to be and i was like he won't grow anymore because he was like a year and a half and then he kept growing and i'm like ah yeah. oh, crap um so and it was a best guest at the time but anyways he doesn't have the best structure um like he mentally is like a freight train and he's like i gotta go let's go 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 but his body like can't really keep up so in just this last year he's been having some medical issues not directly related to flyball just erroneous injuries just out in the field playing chuck it and hard stops have been his biggest problem so he has done some soft tissue damage to his shoulders for a while there we were having issues with split nails although now that we've moved to portland i don't see any more issues with split nails so it had to have probably been more that dry california hard as a cement dirt and he was just ruining his nails splitting them and like just crushing them and like causing injuries to his feet um so yeah he's starting to have some injuries uh, my biggest like regret in all of the sports stuff is that I didn't focus or pay attention and I still am pretty bad about it with canine conditioning. Like I think when you're getting into those really heavy, like high impact sports, conditioning is so key. And I have been just really bad about maintaining or learning or keeping up on any of that. And if I could go back, um, I mean, it's not too late to do it now, but if I could go back, you know, I wish somebody would have just slapped me in the face and be like, hey, you have to do this. There's, you don't have a choice. You have to do this, you know. So. I was going to ask that. So how are you maintaining his conditioning now? Um, well, 
we're not playing fly ball right now uh, because everything that's going on. So he's still on crate rest. We need to go get x-rays. Um, last vet visit that he had, they said that he they could feel some clicking in his elbows and like his like uh, wrist or whatever the equivalent of that would be. Um, it's inconsistent, but an x-ray would be nice to take a look at. Uh, and then from there, maybe see an orthopedic specialist. All of my dogs at some point have received chiropractic adjustments um, because that was affordable for me to do so. And I think that's important in fly ball too, or now nah, it would be important in like ring sport and stuff like that too. Just any high impact or um, even in dock jumping where they do like those, uh, I forget what they're called, their air retrieves where they really stretch out their body. Um, doing chiropractic adjustments can be key for helping keeping everything in alignment. So they've all received chiropractic adjustments several times already. Um, but considering soft tissue injuries and shoulder injuries, uh, I'm worried about him blowing out his needs because of his breed type. Um, so he has good insurance on him, but I need to like move forward and actually, you know, go and do some of this stuff. So maybe an orthopedic specialist um, and then go from there. And then, yeah, I should definitely maybe go take a class on canine conditioning with like the fit bones and the peanuts and find out how to actually utilize it in the most appropriate way for his body type. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned dock diving again. So Archer does mm -hmm. do that. Yes. He did. Yeah. We're not doing it now because we don't have access to the pool anymore. But when I lived in Hollister and this is what really made living out in the boonies worth it. Um, we lived on a property that had a uh, regulation size dock diving pool. Um, so when it wasn't in use with her clients, my landlord also lived on the property with like her multitude of dogs. So it was a pretty doggy place. Um, when they weren't using it, you know, a couple times a week, my dogs and I could go out there and duck dive in the summer just for funsies. We never did any NADD things like North American duck diving, uh, competitions or anything like that. But the last couple of summers, uh, we were able to do, do like the little tournaments that my landlord and the owner of that business would put on just for her community. Um, so we did a little bit of that. His best jump is 20 feet, which is... Sorry, my dog just shook. <laughs> uh, his best jump is uh, 20 feet, uh, which is pretty impressive for a 50-pound bowling ball is what we call him. Mm -hmm. um, so we, I would like to get back into that right now. With everything that's going on, I'm just trying to get back on my feet. So sorry, but duck diving's kind of now that we have to pay for it is kind of just on the back burner. And you know, it's such a sort of extracurricular, and it can it can cost quite a bit of money to go rent a pool for an hour or two hours. So, and for the people listening that haven't heard dock diving before, you want to give it just a very brief overview. Oh yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Uh, dock diving is kind of what it sounds like is water-based sport and they jump off the end of a dock, uh, with regulation size pools. I don't know if it's different in different countries, but at least here, um, it's, uh, I want to see, I don't know what the max size length of the pool is. I can't remember, but it, it's pretty, it's like three feet deep, but it's a really long pool. And your goal kind of with regular dock, dock diving is to just set your dog at the end of the dock and then throw a toy as far as you can to see how far your dog can go in the most like really basic terms. Um, there's a bunch of different little sports within it. Like they have like a thing that will like, like a dolly that will hold the toy above the pool and you can send your dog off to that. There's like swim races um, and stuff like that. But 
just the most basic thing that we did was just toss the, in, the the toy into the water and see how far your dog can go. And certain classes, like they break it up by how many feet. So like your toy class, you know, will jump within a certain foot range, your junior, your senior, your master, whatever, it'll all like be in within a certain uh, distance range would be that class. So. And uh, he enjoys being in the water at other places oh, as it. well? No, he hates water. He hates water. But he loves the toy more than he hates water. Okay, like yeah. the the dog's got toy drive, so yeah. All right. what about what about washing? He he hates it. He'll tolerate it, but he's like, Why are you doing this to me? You're torturing me. I don't like it. He'll tolerate it, like he won't fight it, but it's definitely not his favorite. Uh, okay. No problem at all. Um He's sort of got any sort of favorite walks and things that he likes to do out on the on the walks. Uh, I am a bad dog owner. I don't walk my dogs. I very rarely walk my dogs. Like we do walk sometimes, and that's where that the whole like him being alert in the neighborhood thing has been mm. a new thing for us. But I really don't walk my dogs. I'm not a walker. Our thing is uh, tug, spring pole, and fetch. Fetch, fetch is like that's my thing. Like. I think I probably love fetch more than my dogs love fetch, but it's pretty equal. Um, I love going to an empty field. Uh, unfortunately, in this day and age, in populated cities, it's kind of hard to find a completely empty field. Um, but I love playing fetch with my dogs. Um, so that's like, I have I can't really do it with him now, or I shouldn't anyways, because you know he's got all those stuff with his shoulders and they're hard stops when he plays fetch when he catches the ball he just will like skid into the ground and it's not good for him until we figure out what's going on with his body um so we've been there's a little school around the corner from from us that has like some pretty sturdy uh soccer goal post um so i've been taking uh, a horse bungee or horse tie it's just like a really long bungee but like a can handle a nice amount of weight and I go and I string that up on the goalpost and I attach a tug to it mm-hmm. uh, and we play spring pull right now because it's just taking a lot of the um, weight off of his shoulders when he plays that um, so we've been doing that lately but no I don't I don't really walk my dogs <laughs> uh, we, we do things but I don't really do like your traditional like hike or walk or anything uh, well, and and look for the amount of different activities and stuff that you do it's well yeah, so, like, I mean, he's pretty satisfied. Like, he gets a little crazy if we don't, like, if I get too busy with my workload or if it's too hot or something. If I don't do something with him for two or three days, yeah, he gets a little strung up and he gets a little, like, wild. Uh, and he gets very, like, ha, 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 in the house. He just kind of, like, ah, gotta do stuff, why do stuff? And he gets a little nippy and he gets a little, like, bouncy and wants to do zoomies in the house. I'm like, you can't, buddy. Um but he can be pretty happy with like if we do a session of spring pole a day or if we do a couple of training, like little 10 minute training sessions um, uh, in the basement or something. I have a basement now uh, that's kind of set up for dog training. Uh, so we could do just like a couple of like work on a new trick or something or string together a bunch of stuff he already knows and he can sort of satisfy a lot of his internal drives that way. If I were to just walk my dogs because walks for us are so boring, like, and I don't really like doing structured walks. Like, I know some people are super into that. I'm not into it. Like, I think it has value. Don't get me wrong. I just, it's not my thing. I get bored and I like doing things and I think my dogs are similar. Um, so, you know, he's pretty happy if we just do like a spring pull session and like a training session or a couple of training sessions or like a fetch session, you know, and I don't just do like hammer it where it's like, 
all right, go get the ball, now come back, now go get the ball, now come back, now get the ball, come back. I, like, make him work for it. And I think that's, like, you know, we'll do healing drills, we do new tricks, you know, we'll do um, all kinds of stuff, and then he gets to do go get the fetch, right? Um, or he gets to go hit the spring pole. So we kind of work as, like, high arousal work to get to the toy or to get to the food, um, and that's usually satisfies him. Most of my dogs are pretty satisfied with some level of that kind of activity. Um, would you say Archer has any individual sort of like weird sort of habits or anything like that that are peculiar um, to him? Yeah, I mean, he can be a quirky guy. Uh, sometimes he'll start itching his ear and then just stop. And like, he'll be like curled up in a ball and then he goes to like itch his ear with his back foot and then he'll just stop. And his back foot will just be on his ear for several seconds. And it's really weird. And he'll just look at you like, what? Um, (laughs) Yeah, he, uh, he's probably, I think the reason I really fell in love with him was because I never had a dog that like, so just wanted to be on you, you know, like wanted to be with you all the time and stare intently into your eyes. And it felt like he was like touching your soul. None of my dogs have ever been like, like they liked affection, but they weren't like, ah, affection. So I really like, like, he's the reason I will run late to a lot of my morning appointments. Cause like my dog sleep in my bed with me and he sleeps right at my shoulder. Like his head is on my shoulder and he's just like staring at me or asleep, but he's like in my direction. And, uh, that's probably, I wouldn't really call that quirky or weird or even completely unique to him. Cause I know there's other dogs out there that do that. But for me, out of the series of dogs that I've had, he's the only one that's ever been like that. And he'll do that with other people. Like other people have taken care of him. And that's like the thing that they remark on is like how good of a cuddler he is. He's just so like, like nice and warm and just like intent with you, you know? And he's always been that way since uh, being a pup as well, or? Yeah, I got him at nine months old. Like, he came in as a foster at nine months old, and he's been that way the whole time. And, I, again, I think that's why I really fell in love with him, was just that sort of intimateness and, like, earnest that he has about him to be with you. Um, none of my other dogs have ever been like that. They're like, yeah, pets are nice. Okay, do you have food? Ball? No? Okay, bye. <laughs> so... Um, one of the questions I ask everyone is to complete the sentence. I can't believe my dog ate. (laughs) So I'm going to switch it up. Uh, I'm going to go with my first dog, Oreo. Um, and I can't believe Oreo ate my ear. Your ear? Ear. Yeah. (laughs) My ear. Uh, a little bit of a backstory on this one. So I was actually born without a left ear. Nothing. Just flat side of my head um had surgeries when I was a kid they tried to make one out of cartilage from my rib that didn't go so well it was like not great technology um when I was in high school we decided to revisit that aspect of plastic surgery to see if we could you know because technology had changed there have been new advancements so on and so forth well the new advancement that they had I wasn't a candidate for um but the um technology around prosthetics had really advanced. So we opted to go with a silicone prosthetic. I had surgery to remove the previous um, plastic surgery that I had had as a kid to try and recreate an ear um, out of cartilage. And they removed all that and they actually placed a metal bar in my, on the left side of my head. Um, And from that, a prosthetic mirror image of my right ear could be just clipped onto that metal bar. And 
the artist behind prosthetics is just like amazing uh, i got to see like the they got like showed me how they made prosthetic eyes and how they made the prosthetic ears and like face plates and stuff like it's it's really cool what they can do and that was back in 2004 i can only imagine where it is now um but anyways so in high school have this surgery get a prosthetic ear my dog's with me uh and i take my ear off to go take a shower and i set it on my nightstand and i took the shower and i came out and my ear was not on the nightstand anymore and I'm calling Oreo, and mind you, I'm like 17, like, I'm not a dog trainer, I don't know none of this stuff, I'm not, like, proactive, like, now I'm like, you can't, if you have a counter surfer, don't put food on the counter, cool, um, but anyways, I'm calling Oreo, and I'm like, crap, okay, he probably ate my ear, I look in the closet, because the closet door is open, and sometimes he hides in there, and he's not in there, so I check under the bed, and there he is, and he's got, like, the plastic base that the silicone ears attached to that clips to the metal bar, and it's just that, and it's just a hunk of silicone, and then there's all these little chunks of (laughs) flesh-colored silicone just spread out under the bed, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. I was so upset. Like, (laughs) high school, just got this thing, so upset. He, yeah, I can't believe my dog ate my ear. Uh, That, I don't think I'm ever going to hear again. (laughs) Probably not. I told you it was a unique one. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to have its own little segment, I think. Um, so <laughs> what about Archer? Has he ever had something that he possibly shouldn't have had? Oh, yeah. No, nah, he, he's, I don't trust him out of a crate. Like, he's eaten a few things when I've left him out of the crate, like uh, plastic light uh, fixtures, like little, like the tap lights. Um, I had a couple of those on a, a bed that I had once that I could just tap and have like a night light to get up out of bed from. He ate that. He, if I leave him alone with any kind of paper product, he'll just shred it. Um, even appropriate shoes I have a hard time with. So, like, bully sticks and, like, beef cheeks and stuff. Because he'll get down to, the, like, the last inch and then try to swallow it whole. So, like, he's not allowed to have, like, pig's ears and stuff like that. Because he just can't handle that responsibility. But, yeah, he's definitely chewed a few things. Well, but normal uh, stuff. Yeah. Like a normal dog. Any sort of resultant medical issues when he has? Or when you, when you first discovered he would try and gulp the last bit no luckily i haven't had any major issues because i like i said i crate him um you know i am pretty good at uh, keeping track of that stuff and Mm -hmm. so far he hasn't actually ingested anything he just kind of like breaks it up and then spits it out so um but yeah so thankfully no issues with that (laughs) oh excellent um is there any other sort of individual sort of archer things that come to mind at the moment no, not at the moment, but, um, yeah, if you're, like, uh, if you are listening to the show and you happen to be at a fly ball tournament in, like, the uh, northwest region of America, probably still go to some California tur- tournaments here, but probably going to start doing some Oregon tournaments, so if you're ever around, come say hi, we'll be running. You'll know it's him because he's all black, and I also bottle feed my dog on the line, and everybody asks me what I'm feeding him because... I feed him baby food to keep him from barking on the line because you're allowed to use food in fly ball. Mm -hmm. So if you see somebody holding a pit bull by the collar and just has what looks like a bottle in their face, come say hi. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to uh, speak any other sort of like uh, connections, social media that you are on at the moment? 
Um, I'll just plug my website. Uh, right now here, the dog is kind of just on a hiatus, like we said. I mean, definitely go check out, um, past episodes, uh, Hair of the Dog podcast. Um, I think we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash hair of the dog. Um, and then for my personal stuff, um, I have my website. And if you're in the Oregon area, Portland area, um, you can just reach out, say hi. You know, once things calm down from COVID, if you want to get together and train or just chat and talk dogs, I'm down for that too. Um, Dognamics, D-O-G-N-A-M-I-C-S.com. Kind of like Dynamics, but dog instead of D-Y. Um, you can pretty much find all of my contact information there. Um, probably I, my Instagram, same Dognamics, uh, has some like fun stuff on there for um, training. Oh, I guess, yeah, you know what? Archer actually has his own Instagram. So if you want to follow Archer pictures and probably some future training videos, you can follow Archer on Instagram at Flying Bowling Ball. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, no, that's it. Not a whole lot going on. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very, very much for sharing part of your life and letting us know all about Archer. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoy the show. I am always looking for some feedback. So please, probably the best way to do it is to jump on the Facebook page and let me know, am I going all right for you guys? What would you like to hear or should I do something different? Please don't be shy in letting me know. Until next week, stay safe and remember, your dog is family.